0: And now we get to hear from the Lord. He's not a concept. He's not an idea. He's not a hope. He's a reality. Jesus really is very much alive. What we celebrate on Easter is not somebody's idea of a way to keep a culture together and get pe- give people hope beyond a hard life for a better life to come. It's actually all true. If it's not true, none of this is worth celebrating. We're the dumbest people alive if we've come together to sing and speak in prayer to someone who isn't even there. But he is. He's changed a lot of lives here. Some of you can give witness not only to the truth you found in Scripture, but how that truth and how that person, Jesus Christ, who we've just been singing about, came to you, rescued you, became your good shepherd, pulled you out of death, has given you a whole new life. So let's pray to him, ask for his help and his guidance. Lord literally knows I need it. And then let's pay attention and do what he tells us. Lord Jesus, may you be loved, may you be trusted as a result of the time we spend looking at our sacred responsibility before you and toward our children. I pray that you would encourage everyone here, especially single parents, moms, and dads who bear so much, have so many pressures. So many limitations forced upon them, Lord, by schedules and budgets, and simply the lack of energy to do it all. Would you refresh all the parents and the grandparents here, Lord, and would you give a special portion of grace and encouragement to those who are very close to giving up? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I am your fellow struggler. Anytime I open the Bible with you, you may occasionally have a pastor here who preaches from a position of expertise and mastery, but I'm not that guy. Everything I teach to you from the Bible is something I'm still learning to obey myself. I'm very far from arriving. And it couldn't be much more humbling to talk about fathering as a father. And I've got the further blessing, but it feels sometimes like a weight of responsibility as well. My family's in this church, so when I'm talking to you about fathering, my sons are sitting beside you listening. My in-laws were in the first service. With any luck, my wife is in children's ministry, I'm not sure. (laughs) That at least would be a break. Please understand, I'm going to talk to you and explain to you a single verse from the Bible. The concept's really simple. We're going to take a couple other portions of the Bible to further understand it and hopefully apply it. But really, the responsibility that we have before us in the Bible is a single verse in the Bible this morning that I'm going to try to open up to you. It's just a single sentence, but every bit of it's countercultural. There's not one thing written, not a word written in this single sentence directed to fathers that our culture agrees with. If you open your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, you'll see what I mean. Ephesians, please, chapter 6, and verse 4. Let me tell you where we are. We are in a letter that Paul wrote to a church in an unlikely place. This is an unlikely place in modern-day Turkey, an unlikely place for there to be Christians. Idolatry was rampant. They were world-famous for a temple dedicated to a false idol. Drunkenness seems to have been considered part of a religious experience. guess those churches were popular if getting drunk was considered a spiritual state. Attendance was probably pretty good. Uh, sexual immorality was the norm. Fatherhood was tyrannical. Marriage was a, for many people, was simply a matter of convenience for survival in a harsh and brutal environment in the first century. And in, in that unlikely place, a Christian flour- a Christian church began to flourish. So Paul primarily talks to them about Jesus. There's, it's as timely as Twitter, there's undertones of racial ethnic tensions that had roiled and divided the Ephesian church. And a big part of the message of Ephesians is that Jesus has brought together into one body Jews and Gentiles, which were the warring lines in the ancient world. All the Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, were included in all the promises, all the salvation, all the forgiveness, all the goodness of Jesus. And they were now part of one body and needed to learn to live as what they were, a spiritual family. That's the first half of the letter. The second half, like so many of Paul's letters, is practical. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you look Carefully with me in Ephesians chapter 5, you'll see that about halfway through the epistle, Paul begins talking about the family, and he gives husbands and wives in marriage their own responsibilities. He explains that husbands have the sacred, holy, high calling of loving their wives the same way Jesus loved the church, giving himself up for her. Marriage love, Christian love, and marriage is one man laying down his life one day at a time. For one woman. Wives are to respond with respect to those husbands and to honor them as they would seek to honor the Lord Himself. Love and respect, the two ingredients that make marriage work. And in Ephesians 6, Paul addresses children and tells them that their great responsibility before God is to obey and honor their parents. In fact, he says the commandment to obey and honor your parents is the first commandment in the Bible that has a promise attached to it. God has promised long life to children who seek to obey and honor their parents. And then in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, we come to a verse written to parents in general, but very specifically to fathers. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, If printed it in your handout. Would you read the Bible with me off of that bulletin? The Bible says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once more, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Every bit of this is countercultural fathers are told in a positive sense that they have a sacred responsibility before God. So, whether you're a dad or a mom or a grandparent or in our fractured society where people can, of course, lose their families or be alienated and estranged from their families, if you have anyone younger in your life looking to you as a parent who looks to you for the encouragement and the guidance and the wisdom and the protection that a parent should be giving. If you have anyone in your life like that, you can take this in principle into your own life. And what you're told to do, notice, specifically it says fathers. And that's not a mistranslation. It's very purposeful. Paul could have written parents. He could have written fathers and mothers but he chose specifically to address this verse to fathers. It applies, of course, to all parents. It applies to grandparents. It applies, as I've told you, to anyone who wants to mentor and disciple someone to follow Jesus along with them. Why did Paul specifically choose the word fathers to give this simple instruction? Because absence and neglect are the characteristic sin of fatherhood. It may be said in broad terms, of course it's hard to generalize, That where mothers may be more tempted to be indulgent, fathers are more often tempted to be neglectful or to be harsh and tyrannical. So parents in general, but fathers specifically are told, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, that's how you don't do it. But here's the positive commandment, here's what you're supposed to do if you have, like me, if you're a fellow struggle, a struggler in the joy of parenting, here's what we're supposed to be doing. You are supposed to be bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up literally means, Paul didn't write this in English, he wrote this in Greek. And it means to provide or to nourish. In other words, fathers in general, fathers specifically, parents in general, are to provide for their children whatever is necessary so that they come up, so that they are brought up, so that they are raised up in, Paul says, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And every one of those concepts is contrary to our culture. Would you say that we in the United States in 2022 are a group of people who are known to be characterized by and love being disciplined? Or is it a little bit more of a free-for-all? Discipline and instruction, that pair of words is very important. I'm going to take a little time to explain it to you, and hopefully I don't lose it to you. And I'd like to differentiate what the Bible tells us we should be doing versus where we actually are. In the United States, for reasons I'm just beginning to understand, because I'm just starting to study it, but I've been helped greatly by a brilliant historian named Carl Truman, I'm starting to understand what he wrote probably his best life's work about. That in the West in general, on the Western side of the world, and in the United States in particular, the concept of growing up is this. Growing up to maturity is for you to express externally, to live out, to put into practice so that other people can see it and recognize it, recognize you. Growing up is the courage to grow up in keeping with your internal feelings and desires. Whatever you feel And whatever you want, whatever is in, as every movie says, whatever is in your heart, you'll be fully grown when you are fully expressing whatever that is. And in general terms, we call it being authentic. In generations past, we spoke of being virtuous, of being good. Those concepts are now looked at as basically repressive, outdated, misguided, authentic. For you to express what you feel or believe, your true self, that's real courage, that's real maturity, that's what it means to be an adult. As a child, you may not know who you really are, you may not understand what you feel or you desire, but as you begin to explore your own feelings and your own thought life, in the measure that you live that out in front of other people, whether they like it or not, bonus if they don't like it, (laughs) but whether they like it or not, when you are your true inner self and everybody can see it and appreciate it, that's maturity, that's adulthood. Let's step back for a moment. Doesn't that sound like just about every Disney movie you've watched? There is a little boy, there is a little girl, there is a cute little animal, and the entire world misunderstands this boy, girl, or cute little animal, and everybody wants to hold them down, push them back, keep them from being their true selves, but through a great hero's journey of courage and, watch it, self-discovery... They discover their true feelings, their true self, and usually through the gift of a moving soundtrack sung by that one lady that sings half of the Disney songs that everybody will remember, will remember and be haunted by for the next 20 years. At the end of the movie, that person expresses his or her or its true self, and the whole world realizes they're wrong, and now you are to be celebrated because you are your true self. And if anyone tells you that your feelings, your desires are wrong or misguided, harmful to you, did not come from God, that's just more of repression and oppression, and that has to be cast off. Contrast that with this simple instruction. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. You bring them up. They're little, they're Ignorant. They don't know. You bring them up. You provide for them. You nourish them in two very countercultural words discipline and instruction. Discipline means the quickest way to understand that word and what Paul meant by it is the word training. In other words, training, if you've ever been trained to do anything, Training has good practices and things you are supposed to do, and then bad practices, things you're supposed to avoid. For instance, don't use electricity near water, would be a good thing to avoid. Wear your goggles, make sure that it's turned in, make sure that it's plugged in, make sure that the machine is off before you work on it. It's amazing the warning labels you see sometimes. Those warning labels always speak to history of someone who decided to do something so extraordinary that they had to put a sign up to tell everybody else never to do that. (laughs) I told you a while ago, I saw one at the airport that said, literally, I'm not making this up, this sounds like stand-up comedy, but I saw the sign with myself. I was getting ready to fly somewhere, and I was looking out at the tarmac, and there was a sign right in front of me that said, vehicles must yield to aircraft. Seems like a really great idea, you know, if he's got the 737 and you've got the baggage cart, it would just make sense that the baggage can wait for the aircraft with 250 souls on board to come rolling by, but apparently somebody said, I'm here first and I'm going for it. I don't know if somebody got run over or 200 people got thrown out of their seats, but that's training, discipline and instruction. In other words, that a parent's responsibility is to know the way of the Lord, is to know who the Lord is, and through both positive and negative reinforcement, through pleading, through warning, through rewarding, and through also offering appropriate consequences, you are to teach those children to walk with the Lord. The word instruction is another word that not everybody's in love with. The Greek language that Paul is using there speaks of warning. In other words, it's not just the kind of teaching that you might be able to brush off as a college class you had that you didn't particularly enjoy. The idea is that a parent knows the way of life, knows how to avoid harm and death, and is warning their child. In other words, they're telling them to stop doing certain things or to modify their behavior and get back on track with what is true and good and best. It's a very simple concept. It's really strange that discipline and instruction are literally, in many homes, the last thing we want to apply to the family. Nobody who's ever taken a job who hasn't been trained in the work they're going to do expects to be celebrated on their first day. You ever been trained to do anything in a job? I almost promise you when you showed up knowing nothing and started doing your best before you were fully trained, it's very unlikely that the manager said, wow, we'd never thought of doing it that way. Everybody gather around. See what she's doing That's what we should have been doing all along. No, the young adults I spend time with, as they edge into their new careers, they talk about learning curves. They talk about feeling afraid. They talk about feeling stupid and feeling the fear of being embarrassed because they don't yet know what they're doing. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, your job mom, dad, grandparent, but your dad, your job in particular, dad, is to know who the Lord is and provide an environment through training and instruction with positive and negative reinforcement to keep your child on the path following hard after Jesus. Our culture is so far removed from loving discipline that it has actually created secular pundits' And experts, to provide the lacking discipline in our society. I'll give you two examples. And one of the guys got a cheer. And I felt a little bit embarrassed to have to correct whoever it was that was cheering because it could be a dangerous thing. There's two cultural mavens, wildly popular authors, video makers, podcasters, that have captivated a very large segment of American society, particularly young men. One of them is named Jocko Willink. He's a retired commander. He was a Navy SEAL. If you saw the movie American Sniper, he was Chris Kyle's boss. He's a formidable person. And he's made a very lucrative and important career after his military service with one phrase that he may or may not know is straight out of the Bible. His phrase is, discipline equals, anybody know this? Freedom. Fully a third of the first congregation, people people in the congregation that came to the first service, fully a third knew who Jocko Willink was. Now, his thing is, get up early, eat protein, lift weights, swing kettlebells, and especially practice jiu and wherever you apply discipline, you will be free. That's in the Bible in Psalm 119. The other cultural maven is a psychologist in Canada named Jordan Peterson, and that's where the cheer came up. Jordan wrote a wildly successful book years ago called 12 Rules for Living. One of his rules is this simple, make your bed. Now, why would anyone get rich telling people basic things? Because in a culture that has succumbed to what Carl Truman calls expressive individualism, where full maturity is just doing whatever you feel internally is best, is going to need someone to say what's in bounds and what out, what's out of bounds, what is true and what is not, what gives life and what brings death. And the good news is God already spoke to it. Your job, Dad, is to not provoke your children to anger, but instead to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, you may have noticed I've spent all my time in the second half of the verse. I've missed and avoided the first part. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's really what I want to talk to you about because if you're going to provide the training and the teaching and the instruction and the cajoling and the pleading and the praying that leads any child to follow Jesus, you need to know this first. No child has ever been angered into following Jesus. Anger in your heart does not a Christian disciple make If you parent with anger, you are parenting contrary to the heart of your own heavenly father, you're giving your children a false picture of who God is, and you're making it far less likely that they would want anything to do with them. So this is going to be very practical, and I'm going to give you a couple intensely personal examples and illustrations so that you can see, not because I want to be the center of attention so that you can see in the life of my family, first with my father-in-law and then with my own father, how God has brought these things to life and how obeying his word yourself might bring blessing to you. How do we train kids to follow Jesus without provoking them to anger? That's what you're not to do. Paul knows because he he says something very similar in another letter called Colossians where he tells fathers not to exasperate their children. Paul knows that as parents and especially dads undertake the sacred task of parenting, the danger for dad is going to be to be an angry dad and to try through tyranny rather than training to bring his child along. How do we avoid that? Number one, be consistent not disengaged or erratic. If you would only take one thing to heart from this sermon, it would be this. This is what I would hope for you, that you, in your parenting and in your disciple-making in your own home, that you would be consistent, that you would not be absent And that once you get engaged, you stay engaged and you're not erratic. Here's why. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Will you read this verse with me, please? The Bible says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. The point of disciplining your children is not to ruin their lives. That's something you'll have to explain to your children over and over again from the time they are very small up through the teenage years, perhaps even into their 20s. The boundaries you are providing, if they are proper and true and good and pleasing to God, are never meant to ruin his life. It is only allowed, they are only placed there so that you can enjoy them and they can enjoy you. Discipline your son and he will give you rest, he will give delight. To your heart. Do you want to enjoy your kids? See, enjoyment, delight in children, that's a fog-cutting question. Here's one to go home on that I didn't ask the first service. Do Do other people enjoy your children? If they don't, that's a warning light to you. If other people do not enjoy your children, something is amiss. Children who are well-taught, well-loved, well-corrected, who feel safe in the boundaries and the instruction that their mom or dad or grandparents or guardian provide, they will feel safe and they are much more likely not only to enjoy their lives but to be enjoyable to other people. When I was a child, my parents, knowing that I hated the dentist, took me to a pediatric dentist in El Paso, Texas, who had turned his dentist office basically into a giant playground filled with toys, the walls were festooned with cartoons, he had a popcorn machine, it was, it was amazing, and I hated every minute of it. He had all kinds of jokes and funny things on the walls, and the one that stuck with me all these years later, he had a big sign that said, you should only brush and floss the teeth you want to keep. (laughs) That stuck with me. And in the first service, we had a dentist sitting right over there, and I think that was his favorite part of the sermon. He is (laughs) in deep agreement with that principle. It's the same with parenting. You should only discipline the children you want to enjoy. If you don't care to enjoy them later in life, if you don't want to be proud of them when they're older and you're older, leave them alone. Let them follow the desires and the feelings of their own heart. Let them blow in the wind like a leaf as their feelings and desires and cultural impressions of themselves are forced to change by whatever is vogue, whatever is in vogue, whatever is current and up to the minute at that moment. And I promise you, they'll hate your life, they'll hate their life, and you won't enjoy them one bit. It's the consistency that wins. Here's the story, and it's a real shame that my son, who is the star of this story, happens to be home today to hear it, because he's the protagonist. Told you this story before, but I'm going to ask you to indulge me again, because it's the single best parenting advice I've been given in my entire life with every conversation I've had and every book I've read. When my wife and I were missionaries, we only had one son. Our older son was about two years old, and we were living in Odessa, Texas with my in-laws. They were in the first service, so they had to endure this story while I told it. Now it's my son that gets to, uh, gets to enjoy it. My son's an infantry officer now in your United States Army, and his appetite for courage and physical daring was very much in his little heart from the time he learned how to walk. What I'm trying to tell you is he was like the 10 plagues of Egypt, compressed into one little human body. And the trouble with that was my in-laws then and now keep one of the most beautiful homes you've ever seen. It's like better homes and gardens all the time. I've never seen it messy. And we've done our best as a family to mess it up, and they get it right back, I mean... They're never the people that have to scurry and straighten up because company's coming over. They're ready to host all the time. Do you know these people? I am not these people, so I admire them. But now we're living in their house with this little commando uh, in, in seed form and I was sitting in the living room with my in-law, with my father-in-law, and Ryan came tearing down the hall, literally just knocking over and somehow dirtying everything in his wake all the way down. His mother was in hot pursuit, screaming at him to stop, stop, physically running, stop doing what you're doing, stop, stop, stop. And it was like watching race cars go by. We were sitting in the living room talking. We just, whoo, whoo, there they go. Sounds like she caught him. Okay, sounds like he's being dealt with. And I, out of embarrassment, said, man, parenting, hard job, huh? (laughs) And Pastor Cecil Maxey looked at me in utter bewilderment and said, I never thought of it as hard. I said, what? Because he raised three kids. He said, Bruce, I did my best to always help my girls understand what the Lord wanted them to do and how I expected them to obey me. I worked at every age to make sure that they understood that. Listen. And as soon as they disobeyed me, I disciplined them so that we could get on with it and enjoy the rest of our day. Did you hear that? To make the standard, what God says and what God wants, abundantly clear. At every age, it's different between a 5-year-old and a 25-year-old. But to make it abundantly clear so that the child at any age could understand it. And then, when there was willful disobedience, not childlike forgetfulness, not frailty, not ignorance. When there was willful disobedience, parents, that's the battle you got to win every single time then discipline, then correction, then training is given, but here's the magical part, so that we can enjoy the rest of our day. In other words, this isn't going to hover as a threat. This isn't going to be a day-long resentment. It's going to be like this, oh, that's a shame. We've talked about this so many times. You can't speak to your mother like that. You lied. You know that God wants us to be truthful. Here's the correction. Here's the training. Here's the consequence. Oh, thank God that's over. You want to get some ice cream? And you get right back to enjoying your day. What are many parents doing? I see it in Target. For some reason, it's always Target. (laughs) Parents, sounds like you've seen them too. Parents in Target are doing this. They are teaching their children to delay obedience. Here's what I mean. Don't do that. I'm going to start counting one, two, and the kid's like going to steal second base, right? (laughs) Listen, I don't mean to get too specific. You can just take this as advice. I don't have chapter verse on this specifically, but I think I do have it in biblical principle and in biblical wisdom. When you teach your children to act like that, all you're teaching them to do is to delay obedience, That's not going to work in the workplace. When a police officer tells them to stop and they think that the count to three rule applies, (laughs) that's not going to be a good day for them. Teach your children that to honor the God who made them and love them to send His Son Jesus to die and rise again from them. Teach them as soon as they understand what God wants them to do to wholeheartedly obey it. Number two, moving more quickly... Be positive, not harsh. According to research published by Harvard University, it takes five positive interactions to, for most people to balance the scales between one negative interaction. Everybody knows that. You come in for a job review, they spend three minutes telling you what you're doing right, and then right at the end they say, hey, there's this one thing I need you to work on. What do you leave remembering? One thing that you came up short on that hurts that plays over and over and over and over in your mind as a parent in life and especially as a parent be positive not harsh you're training them you're not a tyrant here's how James explained this principle in all of life know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god what if As a parent, you decided that this verse applies to your relationship with your children as well. And when you were having conflict with your children, you were quick to hear them. Before you jumped into the lecture, what if you explored this idea? What were you thinking? What was that about? Why are you so upset? Why is this so hard for you? Why? You seem way more defiant than usual. What's going on here exactly, buddy? What if you were quick to hear? What if you were also slow to speak? What if you measured your words and controlled your spirit because self control is part of the fruit of the spirit? And rather than lashing out in anger or insecurity, what if you held back just a little bit longer and you were slow to speak, remembering that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? Anger is not sinful, not necessarily but it often is, and even if anger is righteous, I don't know if you've noticed, it's awfully easy to sin when you're angry. So try with your your parenting to be positive rather than harsh. And thirdly, pursue integrity instead of indulging in hypocrisy. If I could do one thing for all the parents of this church, it would just be to make you devoted to pursuing integrity before the Lord. That you would understand that what you demonstrate is what you duplicate in your children. That if, for instance, what we're doing here, gathering as the people of God on the Lord's Day, to sing together, to give together, to serve and encourage one another to hear God's Word and to try to reshape our heart and our understanding according to what He has taught. This is called going to church, coming to worship, being the gathered body of saints that Jesus redeemed. If you're perennially putting this off because you're so engaged with your children's sports or hobbies... What you're actually teaching them for life is if there's ever anything you want to do on a day set aside for worship, if there's something you'd rather do, do that. Pursue integrity. Here's the most personal story of all because it's probably the most significant moment my father and I had when he was along with my mother raising me. My father was a strong man, he's strong mentally and he was strong physically. He's really been diminished by injury now, but when I was growing up, my dad was, I guess every boy feels like that, but my dad objectively was a bit of a beast. He paid the bills when he was going through Bible College, loading and unloading boxcars filled with 100-pound bags of grain, and he did that on the graveyard shift before going to school. Ryan owes, Ryan and Evan owe their, their broad shoulders, not so much to me as to their grandfather. Well, For all his strength, he was also a gentle man, except one night when I was about four years old. I defied him, and for the first time in my four-year-old life, he was very severe. It wasn't anywhere near abusive, but because he had been so gentle and sweet before, when he lashed out verbally toward me, it frightened me. It made me cry. I didn't know he could be like that. And here's what made all the difference. When my father realized how harsh he had been and how harshly I had taken it into my little four-year-old heart and mind, my dad, grown man, knelt down in front of me. I'm 52 now, and I still remember this. I remember the shoes that were on the floor. I remember the paint on the walls. It seared into my memory as one of the defining moments of my life. He said, buddy, I am so sorry I did that. That was wrong Will you forgive me? And there were tears in his eyes. When I saw tears in my strong father's eyes, guess what showed up in mine? And I still remember throwing my little arms around him and crying for relief and joy that the momentary anger and harshness I had not seen was not going to characterize my father. We spent the rest of the night with me laying on his left arm while he read me as many comic books as it took for me to go to sleep laying beside him. Why am I telling you that story? Because my father, like every father, including this dad, is not a perfect man. But he had integrity to ask forgiveness when he was wrong. So maybe you're sitting here and Father's Day is hard for you because you're filled with regret. I can tell you it's an awkward thing with my son sitting here. The things I most regret about my own fathering are the harshness, the anger, the anger. The hurt that I did. If I wanted to defend myself, I would only say this the urgency, the anger, the wrath that poured out of me at times and wounded them was only urgency because I so desperately wanted them to avoid what I saw as disaster. I was much harsher, I think, with my older son than I was with my younger because the older boy is so much more like me. I could see where that was headed if he kept doing things the way I did when I was his age and how it came across was anger. And I'm not excusing it because it was the wrong thing to do and it was the wrong way to do it. My parenting in those moments did not remind my sons of Christ And if your parenting is really Christian, it will remind them of Jesus Christ. And when it doesn't, if you will ask their forgiveness, and if you're sitting here sad because your life is filled with regret, what if you did the Christ-like thing and humbled yourself later today with a phone call or a text message and said to your adult child, I heard some things today in church that made me reflect and regret some of the things I said and did when I was raising you. I'd like to talk to you and ask your forgiveness. Don't make it up if you don't have much to apologize for, but if there's a barrier between you and some of your children, consider what part you might take by rejecting hypocrisy and instead pursuing integrity. Perfection's not on the table for any of us. I already told you we're all fellow strugglers in this journey. Let me invite you to christian parenting in the name of jesus that reminds your kids of jesus so they learn how to follow him let's pray together parents can i give you just a moment to pray for your kids maybe reflect on actions you may take if you don't know jesus for sure If you're not certain that Jesus is your Savior and you've been putting him off, could I invite you to trust him this morning? Parents, grandparents, mentors of all kinds, but especially dads, could I invite you to join me in putting a marker down in the ground today and saying, whatever my faults and sins and regrets were in the past, I heard my marching orders from God and I'm going to move forward as best I can in obedience. Father, I pray that you would bless all the families that are here. That you would fill them with joy and a holy resolve, even if at the beginning it's a little bit painful. To change their ways as needed and to be encouraged in everything that they're doing right in your name. Lord, we're a church with as many as four generations present in it. We're grateful for that. Help those of us who have the privilege and responsibility of having the eyes of others upon us to walk carefully with you. Help us nourish and discipline and train and correct and encourage and bless those coming behind us so that we would be the people of Proverbs who walk in integrity and see that our children are blessed coming behind us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Crosspoint said, amen. Dads. Happy Father's Day. God bless you. Enjoy.